I give the opportunity people to ask any more questions that you like. Actually, there was a question from lunchtime that, what do we do at the monastery anyway? <laughs> what happens and on a daily basis? So, I'll just give a uh, general uh, overview of, of what a day would be like at a at the monastery. And I think also just to say that, that the monastery is is actually open for people to come and visit, uh, whether it's just popping in or people who want to come and stay. It's, you have to uh, check in ahead of time, but uh, and see if there's space. Generally, the monastery is available for for people to to plug in. But a, a day begins uh, sometime before five in the morning. We have uh, five o'clock in the morning is morning chanting, morning meditation, close out about 6.30, and then there's just some tidy up, clean up, and uh, at seven o'clock there's a light breakfast, tea, coffee, whatever anybody needs, wants, and it's very basic, very simple. And then uh, and in the morning at 7.30 we gather together and distribute chores, work for the day. Some people will do trail work, some people will help with maintenance, some people will help with office stuff, some people will help with the kitchen. And then uh, at 11 o'clock uh, we gather for uh, the uh, main meal of the day. After the meal, let's just clean up. And then people disperse back to their back to their dwelling places. The afternoon is open for people to uh, to study, to meditate as they wish. And then 5:30, there's a an informal gathering for tea time, and usually there's somebody available. A senior monk will be there to field any questions if there are any. Q&A, and then that, uh, I'd usually uh, finish that up about 6.30, 7 o'clock, evening chanting, meditation, and it's usually over about, I don't know, 8.15 or so, and then people go back to their dwelling places. So it's a pretty simple, simple routine, simple, simple life. I'd like to comment on my question earlier uh-huh. uh, the climate change. And while you were answering, I, it's, I got the answer, and that is the more we become more like monks, more like nuns, the more we're going to be helping the situation. Yes, I mean, it's because uh, a lot of it is, is around simplicity, contentment, sensitivity, generosity. Sharing, those are all the qualities that will allow us to survive as human beings. And and not just survive, but actually enjoy it. Yeah. Living sustainably is one. Yes, yes. It's just living sustainably, living, uh, living lightly on the planet, on the land. Yes. So, uh, on the lines of relationship, um, can, can you give some ideas or suggestions or comments on dealing with betrayal? Uh-huh. This is uh, a question around uh, relationship and how to uh, deal with uh, betrayal. Um, I think um, 
One is, uh, there's many different aspects to it. One of the, the things that uh, first popped into my mind is uh, when the Buddha was asked the question of what are the highest blessings, he gave a series of, of about 38 different qualities that are lead to the highest blessings. And uh, the first quality was don't associate with fools. And uh, bhala, uh, bhala is sort of fool, but it's also, you know, not a, a particularly good person. Uh, you want to, yeah, keep your distance from, from people who don't have the qualities of commitment, virtue. It's like the, the, the uh, when we were t- this morning talking about the, the qualities that the Buddha pointed to as a, a who, uh, of who is a good friend, a good companion, sort of one who is consummate in, in uh, faith and confidence, but it's also faith and confidence in something that is really noble uh, and taking that nobility, somebody who is, who is virtuous, who is generous, who is discerning. So those are our, our, our qualities we want to, to seek out in people. And if, if, uh, uh, somebody doesn't measure up to that, then it's good to keep one's distance. It isn't a judgment in the sense of uh, lifting oneself up and putting somebody else. It's just, it's just uh, 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 if one's go- one needs to associate with other people, and particularly in relationship, uh, then uh, you want to. Draw close to somebody who is actually uh, nurturing uh, a a, a relationship, and uh, and that uh, and it requires give and take on both sides. So that um, when somebody uh, betrays trust. then you know there's a uh, um, you know there's a sense of of uh, um, you know on some occasions one might um, recognize or they might recognize their their uh, their unskillfulness. Um, um, but it's up to them to to uh, to make a change. It's it's not up to us to to uh, um, make excuses for people. And uh, of course, I'm a monk, so it's sort of the. the uh, uh, I mean, it's easy for me to say. It's a lot easier to, you know, if somebody isn't really uh, worth. An, Drawing close to, uh, then it's it's better to be on, on one's own and, and find that contentment. It's it's too painful to be with people who are are uh, uh, yeah who don't uh, reciprocate uh, trust. Yeah. That works in the monastery as well. Even if we're sort of not in intimate relations, but. Um, you know, if somebody is 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 not really 
forthright and clear and and uh, and skillful in their actions, um, they don't last long in a monastery, and it's it's too uh, too difficult for everybody. wonder if you could say something more about how to practice um, being aware of arising and ceasing and also in relationship to the question of you said that uh, wisdom and then right and right uh, view wouldn't mm-hmm. normally follow and wisdom is connected with arising and ceasing mm-hmm. so is there a distinction between wisdom and right view maybe that's also Mm-hmm. be addressed at the same time that you say something more about the practice mm-hmm. of arising and ceasing in, in, in different ways in our mm-hmm. meditation yeah with that uh, that quality of uh, uh, arising and ceasing is a uh, uh, yeah, I mean, it's good to, because uh, sometimes, uh, especially as uh, uh, Buddhist teachers, uh, um, we can get uh, uh, used to our jargon. And, uh, you know, well, what's it mean anyway? Uh, so it's important to to, uh, to clarify that, ask that. And, uh, but the, the, the sense of, of paying attention to the uh, you know the arising, falling away, coming into being, the the ending of either material phenomena or uh, mental phenomena, and as we as we uh, practice that, and I was emphasizing that because it's uh, we tend to think that if only I had wisdom, then I'd be okay. And, and then wisdom then tends to be sort of assumed to be some kind of, a, you know, some particular bit of knowledge or some kind of particular way of uh, seeing something. And, but it's more paying attention to processes. Uh, and, and, and the Buddha Tells uh, or points that points that out uh, the importance of that process of uh, coming into being, passing away. Now, one of the ways that it's usually called is just uh, impermanence, just looking at the impermanence of phenomena. But the the way that Ajahn Chah talks about it is the uncertainty, and sort of impermanence tends to objectify what one's experiencing as arising and ceasing, um, uncertainty tends to be the, the subject, in the sense, how do I feel about it? How do I experience it? Uh, so that, and to, to, to be able to be comfortable with that uh, uncertainty. Because we tend to you know, want to have everything solid, secure, clear, uh, absolutely pin it down, and then I'll be happy and secure. And uh, uh, it's much more important to, uh, to, and, and I think that's the doorway to wisdom, is learning how to be 
clear and comfortable with that, the changing nature of phenomena, how things come into being and pass away. Uh, one also starts to pay attention to the um, these, okay, these are causes and conditions that play out in certain ways. And uh, it's not it's not personal. It's not sort of a, we don't don't need to personalize it or um, you know create a a, a a you know a sense of self and me around it. It's just so oh, yeah, these are conditions arising and ceasing, and uh, there's a real ease and spaciousness that comes from that. So that uh, and that kind of ease is, say, from discernment or wisdom and being able to see clearly. So wisdom is, is just that uh, applying the seeing clearly. Uh, seeing clearly without um, a sense of self, is that what you mean? Ideally, but uh, you know, the reality is, is you know, we overlay and it's just that's part of the process of of being watchful and attentive. Uh, what happens uh, is, uh, um, actually I pulled a quote out of a, a new book of Ajahn Chah's today, and I think it's, it's, a, it's a helpful, uh, and say when discernment arises or when wisdom arises, you can abandon your defilements. As your discernment grows, your behavior will change. You'll abandon your old ways. It's like going into the forest to look for fruit. At first you find some fruit that's not especially good, but even though it's sour, you take it. You carry it in your basket until you find fruits that are better than that. that. You throw the old fruits out of your basket. It's because you see that the new ones are better, better that you change what you're carrying. And the same with the mind. When you see the harm and drawbacks of your old ways, you keep on abandoning them. The more you look, the more you keep on abandoning. When you practice, you'll think, this is it, this is good. But when you practice further, oh, what happened then wasn't really refined. So you abandon that too. And so it's a, a lot of what wisdom is, is ability to, or what discernment is, is seeing clearly but then putting things down. Relinquishing. So is that related to arising and ceasing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's sort of again, one doesn't invest uh, a whole uh, overly invest in the the uh, uh, kind of assumptions of goodness or perfection or or even badness or wrong in what it's just something else that's arising and ceasing. And you learn from it. Oh, that's the idea of. It, of uh, putting aside or keeping, that's a learning. Yeah, that's a learning. Once you see it, you can learn from it. You can learn from it, yeah. So this applies not only to objects like the nature coming and going, Mm -hmm. but um, internal. Internal, yeah, mind states. Absolutely, applies across the board. And so to be aware of that is just um, patience with what's happening. Patience, very good. Yes, yes, there's a there's a patience that's there. And actually, I can remember so many times Ajahn Chah saying, I don't teach you guys much. Just, just be patient. 
<laughs> and you think, I want to know more now. And you know, like, <laughs> but it's and then but then you start seeing, oh, oh just being, and, and patience isn't just putting up with something, but willing to be present with it. <laughs> That's the difficulty of rising and seizing is that you don't want to be present with exactly. Things. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. I, I really find myself curious about the role of emotion. We talk about passion, we talk, we talk about ceasing, mm-hmm. and we talk about these more as either physical or mental experiences. But there's also, you talked earlier, I think, in the beginning about dropping into the heart, didn't you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, what is your view of how that, I mean, all phenomena arise and cease, right? right. Including emotion and yeah. things that we can share in a positive manner. Mm-hmm. What is your view of that? Well, I mean, the, the uh, of course... Uh, what is the question? Uh, the question is around emotion in terms of um, yeah, what, what's the role of, I guess, what's the role of emotion in, in, in our practice? And uh, the, say, like, the uh, faith or confidence is, a, is an emotion. Um, happiness and well-being is an emotion. Uh, kindness and generosity are emotions. Huh? Compassion. Compassion is an is an emotion. So that these are um, the Buddha is is encouraging us to cultivate these these wholesome, skillful uh, emotions. Uh, and even when the you think in terms of the uh, um, when the Buddha points to the four noble truths as a structure. He says, oh, you know, be aware of suffering, cause of suffering, cessation of suffering, path leading to cessation of suffering. Um, it's, a lot of that is because we're motivated to, to try to do something about, about emotion, uh, in that, that emotion of unsatisfactoriness or, or, or suffering. Uh, it could e- just as easily be structured you know, the happiness, cause of happiness, ces- the cessation of happiness, path leading to, to, to happiness or the arising of so that there, there it's it, but it's cast in a, a more of a let's say the, the via negativa um, because we tend to be more motivated to to pay attention to it and we tend to be satisfied with the emotion of happiness or well-being. Uh, we tend to be content, content with that, whereas it's, you have to be nuts to be content with, with, with suffering and dissatisfaction. So it keeps pushing us to, to seek more clearly, to relinquish, to well, really understand. I find that the experience of uncertainty and loss mm-hmm. actually gives rise to the experience of compassion. Oh, yeah. And being yeah. able to, yeah. to be empathetic, for example. Yes. Right? Well, absolutely. Uh, and, that's, uh, uh, and that's why it's so important to say when the, when the Buddha structures his path, that, that right view is always, is always first. 
and and it's that right view that's leading so that it's it's taking us to a place of that skillful uh, investigation or skillful holding uh, of of emotion but it's it's uh, uh, you know all the different lists of the Buddha's teachings um, when you look at it more clearly you see how the Buddha is that that the positive role that emotion is playing in motivating and and maintaining our momentum in practice. Yeah. Yeah. So with the situation in Burma now, mm-hmm. with the with the um, the fomenting of hatred and violence against the Muslims on the yeah. Buddhist monks, how how do you determine whether to respond to that uh, vocally or publicly? I, I think I've seen only one comment, and that's from the Dalai Lama. Have there been other comments from uh, teachers in our tradition about teachers it? And, in our and is that appropriate, and how do you consider um, Well, I mean, certainly the response is not one of condoning, or, or I mean, it's, I think it's also a, uh, a sense of, of uh, uh, Dismay that that uh, is uh, is quite uh, uh, predominant. It's also uh, Burma is such a closed country still that uh, it's hard to imagine what sort of a response to formulate. Um, the uh, uh, you know in terms of an, an act, how does one actually deal with it and and uh, um, also um, it's it's and I don't know I mean one I don't you know Burma is a hard country to read and. There, I read a good article which I thought was interesting in that uh, the projection or or assumption of um, where this is coming from, uh, back coming back to the military. As a, because there's things are changing quite quickly on a on a uh, societal level, and there's it's being being much more um, able to to uh, uh, address the the lack of a democratic process, uh, and to allow the popular um, voice of, of of people to be heard. And um, and the, the the kind of overt and public role of the military is limited. The role of the military is incredibly entrenched, and it's another way. Uh, it, it seems to be, or it's a speculation on the, on this particular writer's part. Uh, that it's a, a another way that the military is able to implement 
dis, how do you say, a keeping things stirred up so that the military will seem like a good, a good option, a good fallback option, which is it's a dangerous game to play. Uh, and it's always in human relations and politics. It's so often, you know, it's that, yeah, it's demonize a, a minority, and uh, uh, it's worked for millennia. So it's, it seems to be that 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 could be coming from that. But I don't know enough to to speak authoritatively. Uh, but when I when I read that. Somebody, a monk, sent that to me, and I thought, oh, that's, that's worth thinking about. Because it is, you see, you know, you, you see the, 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 the stories, and it's sort of like, blink, and it's just, this, this doesn't compute. Uh, but then looking at it in that light, and you think, oh yeah, there's, I mean, because there's always monks, or, uh, I mean, I've been a monk long enough that I can, you know, I've seen all sorts, and... Uh, uh, there's always monks who are willing to, uh, you know, be a part of the the power structure that, that uh, protects power. Yeah. Um, I always appreciate your words about practice and your emphasis on stability, clarity. And today, I also heard um, spaciousness. Mm, yeah. And. I've been working a lot with concentration, which in many ways helps support that. Mm-hmm. I noticed today when you mentioned concentration, you said, ah, oh, it's a little tense when I sit here and just think of concentration. So yeah. with that, I suppose that there's probably some fine-tunement that you've worked with, or I don't know, if you can talk more right. about that. What, you know, what is that feeling, and, and how do you work with that? Yeah, I mean, I think of that, that in terms of the... Uh, um, of course, in the, the, it's, it's help, to me, it's helpful to always return to the... <laughs> You know, what was the... the oh, the qu- question. Okay, sorry. Uh, question is around the... Uh, um, um, one appreciation of the, some of the thing, themes that I've been pointing to in terms of concentration or meditation, stability, uh, clarity, uh, spaciousness. Uh, but I also, when I was bringing up uh, concentration as a... And sort of, and I'm sa- was saying, well, ah, there's kind of you know some kind of inherent kind of tension going on there. Uh, what, uh, where is my thinking coming from? Where is my, and how have I worked with that? And what perspective do I have on it? And I think that's that's uh, 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 essentially, to me, my perspective. You know, when I think of concentration, I think of, oh, I've got to really put my mind on what I'm doing. And, and concentrate, and, but uh, uh, yeah, it tends to be a bit tense. And the word that the Buddha uses that's translated into concentration is samadhi. And samadhi has a when it's translated into Thai uh, language, it's like the the firm establishing of the mind. It's sort of like a phrase rather than trying to get one word. So, oh, I, yeah, I like that. Firm establishing of the mind, that's, that's a good thing. And the word, uh, the root of the word, say, samadhi, is one of, uh, you know, like tranquility. Uh, so that there's an ease 
there. And so that those things that foster the the uh, uh, the mind settling, becoming stable, becoming clear. Um, uh, uh, that's that's really important, and I think one of the like I talked earlier about the uh, stock phrases that oftentimes come up through the through the discourses. There's a stock phrase that uh, a set of of conditions in in mental development uh, that the Buddha sometimes he starts in different places. Sometimes it's with uh, faith as a condition, sometimes with suffering as a condition, sometimes with uh, wise attention as a condition, sometimes uh, virtue as a condition. But uh, with these different starting points, uh, with that as condition, there's the arising of, uh, of well-being. Uh, and then with the arising of well-being, uh, there's the... Uh, uh, um, joy comes to be. With the arising of joy, um, uh, tranquility comes to be. And with the arising of tranquility, happiness comes to be. With the arising of happiness, samadhi comes to be. Concentration or that stability of mind comes to be. And it's interesting that there's all these conditions of happiness, joy, well-being, tranquility. Uh, those are the conditions for the uh, the arising of that meditative stability. And because usually what happens, the way my mind has worked before, and I'm sure that it's the same. Sort of like, boy, when I get my concentration together, I'm going to be happy. <laughs> so it's like you know, it's going for that goal uh, in order to feel something, but the reality is, what are those conditions that make Could us? You go over them again. Yeah. <laughs> okay. The uh, first is is a quality of well-being, uh, and that's a uh, in in the scriptural language, it's pomoja, which is yeah, just kind of well-being. Kind of delight uh, with that as the condition, and there's a rising of of joy, beauty, uh, and then with beauty as the condition with joy, and then there's a rising of uh, tranquility, which is an ease of the tranquility of mind, but it's an ease of body, pasati, which is it's relaxed, it's uh, yeah, there's a kind of total relaxation, and then with that as the condition, and there's the arising of happiness, sukha. Uh, and so then, with happiness as condition, there's the arising of, 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 of samadhi, or of concentration. And in some of the discourses, the Buddha actually stops, and he, and he points it out, and says, the happy mind is easily concentrated. And it's really, and it's really true. So we, we, in, in our meditation... Just finding the, the themes and the, the ways of approaching the meditation that are, are um, that, that do. And the happiness is not just 
kind of excitement of getting what one wants, but just uh, there's an, uh, an ease and, and deep appreciation, well-being that's there. And that, that, that's what we want to be paying attention to. Is the well-being a lack of hindrances? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, I mean, what that's, that's a part of it, is when we can relinquish the, the, the hindrances or at least you know, soften their impact a bit, we can let things drop away that, that actually agitate the mind. It's just like getting irritated or being dull or uh, just endlessly proliferating about something. Just set those aside for a bit. And say, oh, yeah, that feels good. So that uh, tuning into that and then nurturing that, uh, allowing that to become more of a presence within the, within the mind. And the mind starts to settle. And it's actually, and it's then, as the, that progression continues, or that the stop phase with, with, say, samadhi or concentration as a condition, um, then uh, one knows and sees the true nature of things. Mm-hmm. Okay? It says, So knowledge and vision of the way things truly are. And it's from that point that there's a quality of relinquishment and putting down. Because sometimes, again, we either we try to get concentrated or we're trying to let go of things. And they're trying to push away, they're trying to draw, I gotta drop this, I gotta get rid of I gotta get rid of my defilements. And 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 we tie ourselves in knots with that. We should be paying attention. What is it that actually makes us feel comfortable, feel at ease, feel clear, feel spacious? What is it that helps the mind to, to actually be settled? Yeah, yeah. It seems like in reality, at least for me, in the practice, you kind of start with concentration. Mm-hmm. You sit down and you try to get concentrated so that you can get to the place of well-being and then the next and the next. So it, it just seems there's, there's well, a missing piece there. So in, in both senses. Well, in terms of, of uh, say, from a traditional perspective... You know, traditional Buddhist perspective and a traditional, say, from a, a, a traditional, <coughs> within a Buddhist society, uh, that's the function of generosity and, and precepts. Um, it makes you feel good. Um, and it clears the mind. It's, it clears the clutter of the, uh, so that, that those aspects of, Traditional practices of of, uh, of generosity, of dana, uh, of uh, keeping keeping precepts. Uh, it's not in a moral moralistic way. This is a, a very practical way of preparing the mind to experience well-being. And <clears throat> generally, in the West. You know, we approach it from a more psychological and meditation-based, uh, so that oftentimes that's the case. You know, we, you know, butt our heads up against the meditation wall and say, oh, "What are we missing?" And then, oh wow, right, yeah, I could be doing this as well. Yeah. So they, I mean, it doesn't really matter where you start on this this path. Yeah. It it does go. It's a traffic circle. So. It connects, they connect to each other. 
but it is helpful to get a whole picture a picture of the whole path and realize how how, how integrated and and mutually nourishing those those path factors are okay one more question when we see each rightful path is there any general rule to tell what is right what is wrong yeah 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 generally uh, there's a real easy rule of thumb if if something is right in terms of in accord uh, with with Dhamma or in accord with the Buddhist teachings, then a wholesome uh, uh, mental states will increase and unwholesome mental states will decrease. And if you find that unwholesome mental states, unwholesome being things with greed, aversion, confusion, delusion, uh, if that increases and sort of good qualities decrease, and you say, okay, that's, that's not right. It's a, so it's a natural um, thing, that, again, where one is paying attention to the results, as opposed to right in terms of, what's well, right in my head? I, mean, I thought it was right. You have a metaphor, like uh, traffic light thing, turning up, you know, for right view. Can you elaborate that? You, you mentioned a, a, a tra- oh, traffic circle. Yeah. yeah, yeah. As opposed to just a, a like a, a straight a straight line or a straight path. So that uh, because the nature of a traffic, you can keep going around it and around, and then it keeps it feeds back into itself. And because sometimes we think if you know we really want to start the journey here. And we want to end up over there, and it becomes too linear. But it needs to actually work. To, everything needs to work together. Okay. Nurture. Hmm? Nurture. Nurture. Yeah. It needs to support each other. Okay. Let's take the last half an hour and just sit quietly, watch our breath, nurture our wholesome qualities.